Well, good morning. It's good to be here this morning worshiping with you all, and my hope and prayer is that um, we could just continue on in that spirit of worship as we uh, jump into God's Word. It is, it's an honor to be here as, as always. Uh, I am just always surprised by how um, blessed I feel when I get up here um, to even have the opportunity to speak from God's Word and to address all of you and be here this morning. Um, not sure if this is really on your radar, but it is uh, the first week of Advent today. That's a little bit confusing. Usually we're in December for the first week of Advent, but we're still in November talking about um, our hope in Christ's coming, our hope, um, the 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 wonderful um, blessing and grace it, is, it has been for Jesus coming the first time and then um, our hope for his second coming. Um, this, morning in, this morning in youth group, we talked about uh, unexpected things, um, things that um, happened to us that we couldn't possibly prepare for, um, and then uh, and, and things that we we anticipate happening and things that we um, look forward to. And then afterwards, my, my wife um, came up to me and said, hey, um, just so you know, your fly was unzipped <laughs> that whole time. I'm like, what? Zip, wow, I am so embarrassed. That is so unexpected. That is, this is ridiculous but I can't go back in time. We're just going to have to roll with it. I mean, stuff like that happens. And today we're going to be talking about life. We're going to be talking about stuff that just happens. But I'm urging you, as you listen this morning, please, please, don't come in and out of this message. It's meant to flow from beginning to end. If you jump in and out of this message there is a high chance that you're going to be confused. You're going to come away with some really weird theology, and you're... I might get a bunch of emails, which I don't want. So just stick with me, and um, we'll get rolling. I don't want to spend any more time on that, but let's, uh, let's get going. We're talking about chasing bubbles, and uh, we're looking at a, um, some conclusions from a couple of wise guys. So have any of you ever tried to catch a bubble? Okay, you've blown bubbles and you try and catch it. It's super fun. Like, it keeps kids entertained for hours. Well, maybe half an hour. It depends on your kids. But you blow those bubbles. They're all over the place. It's, you're running left and right. Okay, I got it, got it, got it. But what happens is that bubble pops as soon as it hits your hand. Or maybe it holds there for a little bit and then it's gone. Okay, um, it's super fun. Don't get me wrong. It provides a lot of laughs. It provides a lot of entertainment. And I think part of the reason it's so fun is because of the futility of it. It's like, we're never going to succeed. We're never going to catch this bubble. We're going to keep on doing it because it's fun. Now imagine if that's the way we went about our lives. Imagine if we went about our lives just chasing bubbles. I think fun would quickly turn into frustration and disappointment. 
Because as soon as we grasped that bubble, as soon as it looked like it was going to hold, pop, it's gone. Never to be seen again. But we have this deep, deep, deep longing to find meaning and purpose in this life. But sometimes I think we look for the bubbles of this life to provide that meaning, to provide that significance, to provide that identity. Nothing wrong with the bubbles. It's that we are putting our entire hope and our entire identity in those bubbles. And we all know this. It leads to dissatisfaction and it leads to frustration. But it's not enough just to say, okay, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed. We've got to find a solution. We've got to find a better solution. We, we've got to figure out what is the meaning of life. And that's what we're talking about this morning. What is the meaning of life? That's our question. So just a small question for, you know, your, to get you out of your Thanksgiving food coma. What's the meaning of life? Okay? What if the meaning of life is not found in this life, though? What if, when we look for the meaning of life under the sun, we never actually find it? We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, so get ready. Uh, that's your warning. I know it wasn't very much time, but um, this book is confusing. This book can be a little bit depressing. It can be a little bit dark. But I think by the time we're done, we're going we're to be able to look at this book in a new light with a new hope, and it will give us um, at least the beginning of the answer to this question, what is the meaning of life? So the traditional view of Ecclesiastes is that uh, Solomon wrote the book. Okay, And that is, if you're in um, the camp over here that believes that Solomon wrote the book, he's the author, then you are probably in the majority. Okay, That is the traditional view. And I'm not going to come out and say outright that's wrong, but I want to provide another view this morning. I want to provide another possible reading of the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, and hopefully this will, be, this will be clear. But we have two voices in Ecclesiastes, which is what I'm going to propose. We have wise guy number one, Okay, and the, um, the Hebrew is kohelet, or teacher-preacher. Okay, and then we have another voice, wise guy number two, who is also, who I'm going to call the wise unnamed teacher. But for clarity, I'm going to refer to wise guy number one as the skeptic. Okay, so just track with me as we go through. When I say skeptic, I'm talking about wise guy number one. Wise guy number two is the author, okay? And I believe that the author is quoting wise guy number one for the majority of the text, so if that makes sense. You have opening statements made by the author, then one big, long quote for most of the chapters of the book, and then a concluding statement by our unnamed teacher, our wise unnamed teacher. So we see the skeptic for the majority of the book. He is chasing after everything he possibly can. He is chasing after the meaning of life. He's looking, uh, let's see, he's 
amassed tons of wealth. Okay, he stops at nothing, uh, pursuing folly, pursuing, um, pursuing wisdom. He stops at nothing to try and un, un, uh, to figure out the answer to this question. But in the end, he finds that it all lacks satisfaction. Everything, every place that he looked, every rock that he looked under, every every um, avenue of human interest that he looked at, the whole breadth of human experience. He explored, and nothing satisfied. And he uses the Hebrew word hebel to describe the feeling, to describe what he's come to find. He uses that 38 times in the book. And as we look close at hebel, it it may be uh, translated as uh, vanity, it may be translated as meaningless. It may be translated as futility, depending on what, which translation you're looking at. But as we look close at the, at the word, it means more than just vanity. It literally means vapor. Think back to our bubbles. A vapor. And it figuratively means temporary. So it's just here for a time. So in chapter uh, 3, verse 11, the skeptic says, he has also set eternity in the human heart. Okay? Now, just a a quick uh, uh, warning right now. If you are in your Bible right now, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures and we're going to go through really fast. Okay? So... I'll have all the scriptures that you need to look at up on the screen, and then um, at the end, at the end, we'll open up. So um, here we go. He has also set eternity in our hearts. So we, we have an issue. We have a problem. We've got eternity set in our hearts. It's part of our very DNA. It's part of our makeup. But as we look around we see all this temporary. We see everything not lasting. We see everything breaking. We see everything decaying. We see everything eventually leading to nothing. So that longing for more and better and fuller is something that's, um, that desire is not wrong. But when we look around, we can't figure out how to satisfy it. We can't figure out how to satisfy that longing. So, um, sure, we may run around and laugh and play a little bit, chasing after these bubbles. But we've got to face the reality that at some point, the solution in that bottle is going to run out. The last bubble is going to be popped and the game's over. So, the t- so we see the skeptic pursue a solution to Hebel in the book of Ecclesiastes. And what he says in chapter 1, verse 13 is, I applied my mind to a study, to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. Or all that is done under the sun. And after making good on his word, here's what he comes up with. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. 
why am I preaching on this? This is a disaster. This is our conclusion. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Another way to put this would be uh, all human work and wisdom are ultimately ephemeral, lacking ability to produce anything of ultimate, sub- of sub- ultimate substance or lasting worth in this life. But we've got to address this. We've got, this is in the Bible, for crying out loud. This is what we're taking as our authority, the Scripture. So we've got to, we've got to face this reality. We've got to face uh, the question, what is the meaning of life? So this morning we're going to look at some, some bubbles that we chase. We're going to look at some perspective-shifting conclusions that we come to and some thoughts on what it means for us. So let's start with some uh, bubbles that we chase. First of all, and these are, these are all found in Ecclesiastes, wisdom. So I think this points deeply uh, to our desire to know. Our desire to for predictability and control, to understand what's going to happen next. We want to know. We believe that maybe wisdom is going to increase our status, influence, ensure our success in life. But look, the skeptic says in verse 116, I said to myself, look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. Verse 18, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. We're getting lower and lower. This is not helpful. helpful. Money. What about money? And material gain, which points to a deeper longing, I think, for security. And here's a couple ways that we use money. We either get money and spend money, we'll dish it out, to gain material possession, surround ourselves with stuff as a way to be more secure, or we just save it. We just amass money. And that, that security blanket of having a bunch of money saved up, that's, that's, where, we find, that's where we find our security and even our identity. But look, here's our skeptic. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and prophets since I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, whatever that is, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. There it is again, hebel, meaningless, empty, vapor, temporary. What about pleasure? Okay, wisdom didn't do it for us. Uh, money is not working for us. Forget it. Let's, let's party. Okay? I think this points to our deeper longing for intimacy and joy and satisfaction. And often, we use pleasure as a crutch when our dreams are broken, maybe our hopes are broken, and we lean, on, we lean on pleasure in the hopes that it's going to provide something solid. But here we go. 
from our teacher. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. So chasing the wisdom bubble ultimately leads to Hebel. Chasing the money bubble ultimately leads to Hebel. And chasing the pleasure bubble ultimately leads to Hebel. All of these can be chased with a work-for-it attitude. Put your head down and go for it. And work and work. All of these can be chased as an ends in and of themselves. But what happens when we can't quite get our hands around it? When we can't quite grasp those bubbles. They implode just as we think we've gotten there. We reach the goal that we've set for ourselves, but we find as soon as we get there, there's another rung and another rung. The ladder just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. But how much is enough? When will we say, finally, I've arrived? This is the meaning of life. A Super Bowl ring, an Emmy Award, a new car, a new house, a new job, a perfect family. Why do we make our lives about chasing Hebel bubbles? I think we're convinced that something in this life is going to give us our meaning. We, we have the sense that life should be fair. But we also know from experience that bad stuff happens to good people. Evil people prosper. The bad guy gets away sometimes. And somebody else gets what we worked so hard to build. So we're led into frustration and disappointment along with the skeptic. In this meaningless life of mine, I've seen both of these. The righteous perishing in their righteousness. And the wicked living long in their wickedness. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Flowing from this very same vein, we think life should be predictable. Everything should always work as planned. Just this past, <laughs> just this past Thursday, I don't know if you um, realize that it was actually Thanksgiving this past Thursday, um, and... Uh, we gathered, my family gathered in a town up in, uh, in a house um, up in Adamstown, and we were just about ready to have our Thanksgiving meal. All the pre preparation had been done. Everything was set. Everything was ready to go. We were minutes away from our feast. Okay, everybody had been building up anticipation, waiting, waiting, waiting. Bam! Water starts pouring down in our kitchen. No, not outside, inside our kitchen. It's coming through the light fixtures. It's coming through any kind of uh, gap in the ceiling that it can. It's coming down through the lights. It's filling up light bulbs. Uh, insanity. It sounded like a waterfall in this house. Luckily, <laughs> luckily we were able to shut off the water and stop most of the damage, and we actually were able to stay in the house. But for 
a good 30 or 45 minutes, we were all like, uh, it's over. Thanksgiving is ruined. It's all gone up in smoke. No, rather, it's all drowned in the pools of water. I mean, there were shelves that were filled up this high with water. That's how predictable life is. These are the kind of things that happen under the sun. This is the kind of things that the, our teacher is, is talking about. Accidents happen we can't control. Outcomes we could have never seen coming happen. And the skeptic has a tone of one that's been slighted from time to time. Who's experienced unfair. Who's experienced unpredictable. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Conclusion. Life under the sun is full of trouble, and then you die. Are we ever going to get out of this? I mean, are we ever going to get out of this pit, that, this hole that, that we're digging here? And I'm not sure if any of you read Ecclesiastes um, in preparation for this message, but um, if, you don't, if you read Ecclesiastes and you don't get brought down, 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 I don't think you're reading Ecclesiastes. You're reading like Ephesians or something. You've just got your E's mixed up. Okay? We are brought lower and lower as, this, as we continue here. And it turns out the only certainty in this life, the only thing that is predictable, is death. My goodness gracious, we are stuck in this tension between eternity in our hearts and a temporary life. So obviously we have a problem. It's a Hebel bubble problem. I don't know why I put a tongue twister in my message, but it's a Hebel bubble problem. Maybe so you would remember it. It seems our search for meaning leads to dead ends. Is there any hope for us in this book? If we stopped here at the skeptic's conclusion, I don't believe we would have much hope at all. Life under the sun is full of trouble, and then you die. Great. And close the book, we're done. Have a great Sunday. Have you ever wondered how this book even got in the Bible? Not to mention there seems to be so much contradiction to the Old Testament. So much internal contradiction. Listen to, listen to this. Um, Listen to this. If you, if you want to turn there, you can. But um, the author says, makes these statements. He declares the dead to be better than the living and the never born better off than both. But then asserts later on, a live dog is better than a dead lion. Okay. Later on, he says, he talks of the benefit of wisdom, but then also its bankrupt value. There's contradictions even in the book if we're not even looking at the rest of the Old Testament. But what if the contradictions actually reinforce the message of the book? What if the 
contradictions are precisely the thing that drive home the message of our text. What if the chaos of life serves as a foil for the author's point, the truth that he wants to pass on to his son? What if we think about it like, like music? Okay, we have two voices, right? We have the voice of the skeptic, and then we have the voice of our unnamed author. What happens when you play two notes together that go together? You get a chord. What if looking at both voices, hearing both voices, gives us a chord that resonates deeply with us that just the single note alone could never do? What if the whole structure of this book was designed to strike that chord in the depths of our hearts? To get at that tension of eternity that's been set there and at the same time recognizing the temporal nature of this life. Remember the question is that we're getting after is the meaning of life. But the wise teacher, I'm, I'm talking about the author now, is going to help us frame our understanding of this text. But before we get there, I want to look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says the chief end of man is to glorify God. Piper takes, this, Piper takes a spin on this, and he says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And he later says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's John Piper. So is God your satisfaction? See, up until this point, we haven't even talked about God. It's been everything under the sun. We've looked at everything on a horizontal level. We haven't looked vertically once. And where has that taken us? Meaningless. Meaningless. So it turns out that our longing for justice, security, and joy are all God-given desires. The problem is that we look around at the horizontal stuff and we see we're never going to be fulfilled. Eternity has been put in our hearts, but we're trapped in the temporary. However, in an expansive reading of the Bible, it's clear that God wants us to enjoy life. God wants us to invest in our work and enjoy our work. He wants us to experience pleasure. No doubt. And here is our conclusion again to this text, though. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, if we think about this, if we think about this as being spoken by our unnamed teacher, looking back through everything the skeptic has just said, he summarizes everything that's said in all of those chapters in between and says, all right, this is the point, meaningless, meaningless. That's what the teacher says, everything is meaningless. But that's enough of that. We, we get that point. Now, Let's look beyond under the sun. Let's look above the sun. This is the perspective that reframes everything that's preceded. This is the perspective that begins 
to get us out of that pit that he's dug for us. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Let's, let's open up to this. If you have your Bibles, we're in Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Here it is. The conclusion of the matter. All that stuff has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments. And God will bring every deed into judgment. Three things. Right thinking, right living, and right perspective. If we're thinking right, we're going to fear God. Not as a fright. Not as like, oh, I'm scared, let me get out of here. As a looking to God in awe. Being completely arrested in our tracks at who God is. Which is going to influence our living. Right living is keeping the commandments. This is a relationship to God that is one of obedience and thankfulness. It's the outpouring of of our lives. It's looking at the law, looking at the law and saying, thank you for this law. Because now we know we can't do it on our own. And it's all made possible by a right perspective. Live in the present, right now. Because God will bring everything into judgment, including every hidden thing. He is the one that's going to make it right. We do not have to feel the weight of trying to control everything in our lives, control every outcome, predict everything that's going to happen. Because that's God. That's God's deal. So we are um, created in His image. And, what is, and the question that the skeptic continues to ask is, what is the profit of living if everything's meaningless? What does a man get for all his work? He gets the living God. And his whole profit consists of fearing him and obeying his word. That is a meaning found above the sun. Now we've brought God back into the picture and we're starting to get a sense for what this all means. But we have an advantage. We have an advantage over even the wise teacher, the author of this book. Because we know Christ. We know how the story is unfolding. We know a detail that he didn't have. Yes, we need to look to God. Yes, when we look to God, we begin to get a fuller picture of our meaning and our purpose and our identity here. But when we look to Christ, when we, are, when we understand the reality of what he has done, then we begin 
to get the fuller picture. The Hebel bubbles, even though they won't last, can suddenly be leveraged for eternal significance. The tension of eternity and temporal still exists, but our motives and compelling don't have to be tied to vapor, but rather to the eternal Christ. The enduring and full meaning of this life is found above the sun, but also in the sun, who is above this life and at the same time is echoing through every facet of this life. He is what brings meaning and purpose and joy to the lives we live and the bubbles that we chase. Because of Jesus' blood and redemption he purchased for us, we now have security in him. We now have acceptance in him. We now have power in him. We now have joy in him. We see that in 1 John, the summary statement made by him could actually summarize the entire book. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Because of Jesus Christ, death is not the end. The one problem, the one issue that we all have is that death is the end. But Jesus come, comes and strips death of all its power and injects our lives with meaning. Injects our lives with eternity again. We can't deny the realities of this life. But nor can we deny the reality of Christ. Both of those notes have to be played. Christ's death is the beginning of our life. And from that perspective, everything has meaning. Life is to be celebrated with joy in the midst of Hebel, but not according to it. Denying the reality of either, living according to the superficiality of one or the cynicism of the other runs roughshod over the paradoxes of life. Yes, we live in a life of paradox. Yes, we live in a life that's confusing, that's inconsistent. But we serve a God who's above it all. If we just pay attention to one note and not the other, we miss the beautiful chord that's being struck by the, by the book of Ecclesiastes. Don't cut God out of it. Don't try to answer the meaning of life question with a strict, strictly horizontal view that only stays here on this level. Don't assume you can answer the question that's that big without God. Don't cut out our connection 
our only connection with above the sun, but rather be found in the sun. And go after this life hard. Chase those bubbles. Go after the wisdom. Go after the joy. Go after the security. But don't put your hope in this life or try to find your meaning here. So let's take the advice of our teacher from Ecclesiastes and enjoy life. Not being discouraged by the futility and meaninglessness of everything under the sun, but living in the freedom and peace and joy of bringing glory to God who is above the sun and enjoying Him in the sun for all of eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for not leaving us in despair. For not leaving us with the question, what is the meaning of life, with only the things in this life to answer it. Thank you for coming down into this frustrating, disappointing, meaningless vapor of a life to save us and to bring meaning back into our lives. Lord God, I pray that you would be working in our hearts, working in our minds, and that you wouldn't allow us to leave here today without at least considering above the sun. Without at least considering what it means to look vertically. Instead of just saying, staying here, heads down, driving after something, chasing after something, That's so temporary. Lord, thank you for overcoming death so that doesn't have to be the end for us. That the thing that strips all meaning from life, death, is the thing that you conquered. We love you, Lord, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.